How do you define a successful life? If your answer can be summarized as earthly excellence and sacred significance, you're at the right place. Join host Stephanie Smith as she shares three keys unlocking a life of lasting purpose. Learn yourself, love God, and live connected. You'll become smarter about yourself, skilled in human dynamics, savvy about the Christian faith, and strengthened to pass this wisdom on to upcoming generations. And now let's get started. Welcome back to Life's Key 3, where we dive into how you can intentionally develop life's key three aims to learn yourself, to love God, and to live connected. So how do you do that well? Well, that requires aligning your life with truth. It's only to the degree that we align our lives with truth, how we have been designed and how life has been designed to work, that we will be able to become all that we have been designed to be. It's the only way that we can build a life of earthly excellence and sacred significance. We are currently walking through the Gospel of John in the New Testament, and so we're going to pick up there again today. If you haven't already, make sure that you subscribe, leave a rating and review, and be sure to visit the website, stephaniepresents.com, sign up for highlights, and you can also check out speaking engagements and other resources that are there on the website. All right, let's pick up with where we left off last time. And that is with a healing that takes place with a man who has been an invalid for 38 years. Why did Jesus pick this man? The Bible is very clear to point out that the place where this man was healed was filled with other people who didn't just have a little bit of a skin rash. These were people who were blind, who were lame, who had serious infirmities that really incapacitated their ability to fully engage in life. They would have been people who were very alone. They would never have been allowed to worship in in the temple. They would have been outcasts. They would have been people who would have been beggars. So why does Jesus pick this man? I don't know. Does that mean that no one else there was healed? Well, we don't know that because scripture doesn't tell us that. And one thing that we do know is at the end of the gospel of John, that there is a statement that all the miracles that Jesus did were not recorded in the Bible. So we never want to make the mistake of saying, well, it it wasn't recorded in the Bible. It didn't happen because John clearly tells us that that's not the case. So maybe after healing this man, maybe Jesus went around and he healed several other people. Maybe this was the only guy who got healed that day. We just simply don't know. And I think the fact that nothing else is in recorded as scripture is significant in itself. You know, it's not just what's recorded that's important. It's what isn't recorded as well. So Jesus had asked this man who did not have the capacity to walk do you want to be healed? And the man doesn't really directly answer the question. And if you haven't had a chance yet to go back and listen to that episode, I don't want to repeat all of that. You you can go back and listen to that. And so Jesus goes ahead and he says to him, okay, get up, take up your bed and walk. And the man is strengthened and he's healed and he gets up and he does that. Now, it just happens 
happens to be a Sabbath day. Now, was this a happenstance? No, of course not. Why do you think it was that Jesus so intentionally continued to perform so many miracles on the Sabbath? I mean, really, this man wasn't going anywhere. He'd been ill for 38 years. He was going to be there the very next day. Why Why was Jesus so intentional about continuing to stir up strife by healing people on the Sabbath? He knew the Jewish leaders were going to be ticked off. Why do it? I mean, was he just looking for drama? Was he just trying to stir up trouble? What was the point of just continuing to to perform these miracles when he knew what the fallout of it was going to be? I mean, of all the things that Jesus could have been made a priority, people were living under political oppression. People were ruled, the, the Jews were ruled by a political power, the Roman Empire at the time, that they, they weren't just oppressive in terms of the demands that they made for people, for conscripting soldiers into the army. They weren't just oppressive in terms of the amount of taxation that they leveled on people that, that made it hard for people economically. They were also pagans in the sense that they were, they, first of all, they were not even monotheistic. They are a, a, um, a culture that believes in many gods. They were polytheistic. They practiced all kinds of things that were an absolute abomination, not just to the Jews culturally, but totally went against the the laws that God had established, the the legitimate laws that God had established, not just the man-made laws that people had added uh, to it over time. And so why isn't Jesus railing against the Romans? Why isn't he doing things to stir up strife with them? Why isn't he spending time calling out their erroneous theology? Why isn't he making such a big deal about, hey, don't be polytheistic by the Romans, like like the Romans over here? Why isn't he focusing on all these other things? Why does he continue to make such a big deal out of doing things on the Sabbath when he knows it's going to stir up strife? I mean, one of the original Ten Commandments was to honor God by setting aside the Sabbath to keep it as a holy day. It wasn't just an idea that had evolved over time. I mean, this is one of the most sacred commandments was honoring the Sabbath. Why why is this such a big deal? The word of God is sharp and powerful whether it is wielded by someone who is using it correctly or someone who is using it in correctly. In our culture in the United States, we have moved from placing a high value on theology and philosophy and understanding in terms of looking at um, issues that have to do with the meaning of life. We, We don't really place a high value on that as a culture anymore. Sometime back, we kind of relegated that to the the place of, oh, that's just for people who are in in certain social uh, spheres, you know, or academics or that kind of a thing. We're we're much more earthy. We're we're much more practical. We're we're about what needs to happen here and now. And to be fair, you know, looking back historically, I can see where the pendulum swung kind of from one side to the other. But the reality is that one of the cost of that has been that we have so 
downplayed the significance of our beliefs and our and our theology and getting it right that we we end up doing damage to ourselves and to other people as a result of that theology matters our beliefs matter right and wrong beliefs not just on the what we would call the the core subject areas matter a correct interpretation matters and I think the reason that Jesus kept performing these miracles on the Sabbath is because people had taken what was true and they had learned to misapply it. They had twisted and distorted it so that instead of becoming something that was about worshiping God, instead of being something that was designed to be a blessing to people, it had become a curse. I mean, the reality is the reason that God said, hey, I'm gonna, I want you to take one day out of seven, which is really pretty remarkable. I mean, he could have said, take three, take five. No, he says, one day out of every seven, I want you to set that day aside. And you know what I want you to do on that day? I want you to rest and remember me. Wow, that's pretty remarkable. Rest and remember me. Hmm. Make it a holy day. I mean, he doesn't say, okay, on that seventh day, here's the thing. You are going to work harder on that day than you have worked the entire rest of the week. God could have done that. He doesn't do that. He could have just said, this is going to be a day that I'm going to have you so busy doing so many things to prove to me that you love me and that you're going to obey me, that you're going to be exhausted by the time that you that you end in this day. He doesn't do that. He says, this is going to be a day of rest for you and a day that you are going to focus on worshiping me. And so we do have a resurgence going on in the United States right now, at least, of people saying, you know what, we need to kind of go back to that Sabbath principle, not in the sense of making it legalistic like, like has happened throughout time, but in terms of understanding the way that God has designed us If we want to engage well in the long haul, we have got to take time for rest. There is a humility that comes with acknowledging our need for rest. I don't know about you, but do you ever get kind of annoyed by the fact that you pretty much need to spend about a third of your life asleep in order to be well? I mean, I got things to do. I have more things to do and more ambition and more goals than I have time. And so the issue for me is not, hmm, I need something else to do to fill my time. It's more a matter of, okay, I have too many things to do. How am I going, what am I going to leave on the floor? What am I going to focus on? What am I going to walk away from? There is a, a humility that comes when we have to spend a third of our life asleep doing absolutely nothing having no productivity whatsoever, just in order to stay well and healthy. And so in addition to that third of our life, basically sleeping in order to be wealthy, God said, on top of that, I want you to take one day out of every seven, and I want you to have a day of rest. Well, what had happened over time was this day that was designed to be a day of blessing, a day of refreshment a day to remind us, hey, you know what? Your whole value to me as people is not in what you can produce and what you can do. 
You are valuable to me just because you are. You don't have to constantly be working to prove to me that you have value and worth. You can rest and you will find that even in your rest, I love you and I value you and I care about you. And that's the message that God wants us to have. But what had happened over time was people were like, "Mm, no, let's not do that. And so little by little by little by little, people had layered on all of this meaning to this issue about the, the, the commandment to just honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And so it had moved from being a blessing to people to being a curse to people. Now, before we get too hung up and think, yeah, well, that was just the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and that was just the Jewish, we don't do that kind of stuff today. Oh, really? You see, there are all kinds of ways that we can take things and we can become very legalistic about them. Now, in in my generation growing up, legalism looked a lot like you don't go to movies, you don't dance. If you're female, then at least when you're in church, you better be wearing a skirt or a dress and, and not pants. And so, and you don't smoke. And so there were a lot of these external behaviors, and these were the ways that, that you know, defined if, if you were, quote, a good, a good Christian or not. And it's easy to look at that and say, oh, well, we have moved away from that, okay, because now it's okay. You know, if you want to have some wine or beer or whatever, I mean, that's fine. I mean, as long as you're not plastered, okay, you're good. God's not going to have a problem with that. And Smoking is stupid, but it's not really sinful. So, you know, that that's okay. And, and dan- well, what's wrong with dancing? What's wrong with going to movies? You know, playing cards. I mean, all of these things that at one time were like, okay, that's going to send you to hell. Oh, we, we've grown. We've matured. Really? Let me ask you something. Okay. So, uh, understandably, there are still some areas where if you're a woman and you're going to show up in church, then you better be in a dress and a skirt. But that's no longer the, the established norm and expectation. So let me ask you this. What if somebody showed up in your church in a three-piece suit? What if a lady showed up in your church in a really nice dress with a really nice hat? You see, in some respects, all we've done is we've just flipped the script. And so it used to be that you didn't dare show up to church in a pair of jeans and with, if, if you were a guy, you didn't show up to church in a pair of jeans and with a shirt that was untucked, right? And we saw that, you know, in the recent movie, The, the Jesus Revolution, which if you haven't watched that, by the way, I strongly recommend that you do, uh, where we saw that people were so offended because people were coming in barefoot. They were coming in in just their everyday clothes. They weren't coming in properly attired. And so we can look at that and say, oh, we progressed so far. But what would our attitude be if we had people that started coming to church back with those three-piece suits and ties? Would we look at them with the same attitude that people were looking at the hippies back in the 70s when they were showing up in church with their blue jeans or their shorts or without, you know, proper shoes? 
I think in a lot of churches, there would still be that, that same amount of, of arrogance and condemnation with people who were very dressed up. So we want to be careful that we, we look at the heart issue of all of this. And whether it's with attire, whether it's with music, whatever it is, that it's not just a matter of saying, well, we're not like that anymore. So then that makes us okay. Because the human draw is to become just like the Pharisees and, and the Sadducees were. And it is to put so much emphasis on doing things that we can just check off neatly in a box rather than looking at the heart behind it. Jesus kept doing these miracles specifically on the Sabbath because he was so needed people to be able to confront what what had happened, which was turning something that God had made for people's benefit into a curse for them. And this has happened in some other areas. Um, you know, sometimes with our, our teachings on marriages, we've, we've done that. We've actually ended up having some false teachings where we put so much emphasis and priority on the importance of, quote, staying married and avoiding divorce that we end up imprisoning people in unhealthy relationships. Now, some of that is, is definitely um, beginning to change, but the reality is how many people suffered because they had taken what God meant to be a blessing to people, and they had become so legalistic about it that people stayed entrapped in marriages, and, and most often, not always, certainly not always, but most often that was women trapped in marriages and afraid to to separate, afraid to even get a divorce because, oh my gosh, that's, that is just such an awful thing. And so they remain trapped. We have to get our theology about things correct. It's not just enough to believe in Jesus, that he was God's son and that he came, lived a sinless life, died on the cross and was resurrected. That's all that we need for salvation, but we're called to more than just salvation in our life. We're called then to grow out, to work out our salvation, to, to apply that in real ways in this world. And part of that means that we've got to have a right theology on all kinds of different matters. And so Jesus kept doing these miracles, and specifically on the Sabbath, because he was saying, y'all, you, you have taken something here that God has designed for good, and you've twisted and distorted it, and it is hurting people so much. And you know who it's hurting? It's hurting you. You that are so focused on whether the Sabbath gets handled correctly or not, your hearts have become so hardened and so calloused and so cold that when a man who has been unable to walk for 38 years gets up and is able to walk, you don't have a single positive thing to say about that. All you can do is complain because he's carrying his, his thin little mat around on the Sabbath. I mean, this mat probably didn't smell good, didn't look good. It was probably pretty worn out. 
he was probably headed to the trash can with this mat. He wasn't going to keep carrying it around the rest of his life. And yet the people's hearts had grown so hardened and so calloused and so cold. And this focus on taking what God meant for good and turning it into something legalistic had done tremendous damage to the hearts of both people who lived under condemnation and fear about how they were supposed to keep the Sabbath, as well as the people who were in charge of teaching about the Sabbath, that their hearts had become so hardened. And again, it's easy to read about this and to say, oh, I thank you, God, that I'm not like those Pharisees, which kind of makes us exactly like those Pharisees. But instead, what we want to do is to say, where can we be just like that in our lives, in our times, with our current issues, whether that's in our culture or whether that is in our community? And then what we can do is to recognize that and say, thank you, God. Thank you for showing me that is there in my own life. And now that is something that your spirit can empower me to be changed by to to change so that I can live aligned with your calling and with your purpose. All right, my friend, that's going to wrap us up for today with our study and the fifth chapter of the Gospel of John. And we will be back next week as we continue looking at this amazing gospel again. If you haven't already, make sure to hop on over to stephaniepresents.com. You can sign up there for highlights, check out speaking engagements and other resources there. You're always welcome to send me an email. I'd love to connect and to hear from you and to know how this this channel is helping you to grow as a person and so that you can become the best person that God has designed you to be. Because remember this, my friend, you have an impact that is immeasurable, eternal and irreplaceable. Thank you for listening. For information on speaking engagements and other resources, visit the website at stephaniepresents.com. Remember, learn yourself, love God, and live connected.